And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my drums? Welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie. And we're here to take an intersectional, feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read, but you can't forget? We've got that too. Comic books, nonfiction, it's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious about your favorite new reads. Hello, and welcome back to Rebel Girls Book Club. I am Harmony. And I'm Maggie. This is one of our break fun apps. Life is crazy for us. Life is hard. Yeah, per the huge, life is hard. But, you know, it's like especially hard. It's 2022, man. You thought things were going to get better and then, you know, they just like spiraled. (laughs) The theme of since we've recorded this podcast, thinking things are going to get better and then they just get worse. (laughs) Just keep getting worse. But today we're talking about um, learning from media. This was Harmony's idea because Harmony likes to think about how people ingest media, think about media, interact with media, uh, and also likes learning communities. And that was the inspiration for this episode, as I understand it. Last fun episode, we talked about some of our reading goals. And through that conversation, I was thinking about why my reading goals were important to me. And we kind of talked about this idea about like motivating ourselves to learn new things and challenging ourselves through reading material. And I'm a librarian. And so this is something that I'm really interested in. I also feel like a part of this podcast has to do with like taking our media consumption and learning something from it and critical thinking. And so I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we did a little break fun episode about how our media diets affect our learning ability? Uh, No, I think that it's a really good idea. I feel like, you know, the very basis of this podcast for Harmony and I in terms of like what felt like it would make it fun, as we've said before, was that we really missed having an outlet to be able to tear books apart and like really talk about the nitty gritty. But I think that an additional sort of unspoken part of that was also being able to do that with books that you never would really find in like your typical English literature class. And I don't mean just like outside the canon in general, but I mean like Harmony and I take microscopes to everything from like dense literary fiction to fluffy romance novels and we turn that critical eye on everything and I think that Harmony and I both really believe that every piece of art is worth that level of like critique and analysis and I don't mean critique in a bad way I just mean like every author of a novel is putting a lot of time effort and energy into building their motifs and building their themes and why are the curtains blue as the famous example goes like Um, So I think that all of that put together means that you and I have done a lot of thinking about why it's important to think critically about everything that we come in contact with and and our media diet, and also done a lot of thinking about why being really critical of everything that you consume can be really hard and really mentally draining, but we haven't had a lot of opportunity to actually have that conversation on air. Yeah, 
So this is kind of unstructured, but part of this idea of media consumption and thinking about media consumption has to do with challenging ourselves and challenging our notions, not just to like think critically and tear something apart, but to take something away from everything that we consume, take something meaningful away from everything that we consume. And that concept I'm able to put into words better after learning about this thing that exists in the education world called personal learning networks. And the idea there is primarily through social media, you build an algorithm for yourself where your social media feeds are all giving you this important sort of professional development or just like learning content. So I really like learning about library stuff. So I might listen to a library podcast. When I was big into Harry Potter, there were multiple Harry Potter podcasts that like dug into the text deeply that I used to listen to that I don't anymore. And I wanted to challenge listeners to start thinking about how, other than this podcast, because I hope we're a part of your learning diet, how you guys are taking the media that you consume on a daily basis because we live in the media age and there's just media everywhere and working that to your advantage so that you can get the most out of that content. And Maggie, what is your relationship? How do you make your media diet something that's kind of nutritious, even if it includes stuff like BTS fan fiction. Oh, right for the jugular. Does it? Does it include that? Yeah, you know it fucking includes that. I, well, I, there's just so little, like, fluffy things that you consume. <laughs> I don't like to have fun. Yeah, no, it's true. I, I do love a BTS fanfic. I love everything BTS. I would say, hilariously, in some ways, BTS is a bad example of that because their last album cycle was totally based off Jungian psychology. And then I had to go back and be like, oh, shit, wait, do I actually understand what Professor Birch was trying to tell us all those years ago about Jungian psychology? But I would say that for me, it primarily comes from social media and from TV that I'm watching outside of the reading that I do. For a long time, I really felt like I don't know. I've had a very complicated relationship with social media, not necessarily in a negative way, but just I've really restricted the amount of social media that I use. And that's complicated because I help run the social media for our podcast, obviously, but I'm also the social media manager at work. And I find that the more time I spend on those two things, the less time I spend on social media and myself. But when I'm there for a long time, I felt like I didn't want anything professional development involved or like learning. I I wanted it to just be kind of like flashy feed sort of thing. But over the years, I think, especially as I get farther and farther in my career, one of the ways that I've been able to build a learning community is by connecting with people who make memes about my profession. I know that sounds silly, but like a lot of those memes come from real frustrations and real desire to see change. And they offer a lot of fruitful conversation between people who are my age doing my job, looking at this one weird Instagram account being like, oh yeah, you know what? This thing about collections is so bullshit. How do we fix it? Like, where do we go from here? So I think that for me organically over the years, that's really sort of kind of come full circle for me is that if I am using social media personally, it is largely connecting with accounts like that. And it didn't come from a place of, oh, I want to learn more about museums because I have an advanced degree in museums. Like I know all I really want to know about museums. It came from a place of, 
I want to connect with people who are going through this same bullshit experience that I am. And then that turned into a learning situation. And I think as well, I find that I'm a productively more critical learner and media consumer when I'm consuming that media with somebody. The podcast is a great example of that for books. Like I critically read books all the time, but it's obviously much deeper when I know that I'm going to be talking to Harmony for an hour about said book. But I think that TV is the best example. I never watch TV alone ever now because I don't have the capacity with a visual media like that to really think about what I'm seeing unless I have somebody to talk it through. I only end up watching TV with my husband and then we talk about it constantly. And it's often high fantasy shows, but we always circle back to, but what is this trying to say about the real world? Like, what is this connected to? What do we learn from it? Often the way we frame our conversations is what do we agree and disagree with? Like how this is presenting power dynamics, racism, sexism, etc. But I think that those are ways in which I sort of frame my personal learning network. And it never came with the intention of being like, I'm going to learn a thing. It always came with the intention of if I do X thing, I'm here to have fun or connect in a lighthearted way. And it just ended up being more fruitful than that. I think that's great, though, right? Like starting with fun and and then it becomes a learning experience. And I also really love how you've honed in here on the capacity for stories or any sort of media to connect us to a larger community, which I think especially in COVID times is really important, even though a lot of us aren't isolating anymore. I think we've become a lot more aware of the isolation that we might be living in our everyday lives. And I don't know, I think for me, that's really important as somebody that needs a lot of alone time, like that is my way of connecting with the world around me has always been my primary method is stories, right? And like sharing that same feeling that the author might feel or that other readers might feel. That's beautiful, Maggie. Oh, thanks. I was kind of just rambling. I also found the memeing thing funny because we also in library world have a memeing librarian. And this person is so influential that for our professional development grad program, library speakers, they have been featured heavily. (laughs) I know nothing about it. I don't really follow them because I'm not big on memes. I'm too uh, old. I don't I don't think millennial memes are funny. And Gen Z memes are too like, absurdist for me. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) too avant garde. (laughs) That's so funny. I'm just not funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this there's this great account called Museum Shift that really has just like honed in on what it's like to work in a museum in your 20s right now and all of the ways that that's terrible. But then also following that account was how I got connected to accounts like Change the Museum and Change the Board, which are very serious accounts that are largely about how we create structural change in museums to become more equitable. I think that in my field, I'm working with a lot of people who feel like we can really be like tools for good and tools for change but there's a lot of barriers in the way of actually doing that work. And those barriers aren't making us neutral. They're making us harmful. So it's been really nice to connect outside of grad school after grad school with a whole new set and group of people who feel similarly that I do and also know how to throw a Bernie Sanders meme around. Cause sometimes like shit's just so <laughs> ridiculous. You got to laugh about it. That's how I feel often at work is like, <laughs> this is insane. 
And the only response is to just be like, all right, this is hilarious. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm glad I haven't had to deal with that too, too much yet. Something that's coming up, I think, a little bit in our conversation, especially because this is a term that developed from a career, like career development, essentially. I think the I don't know if personal or professional came first. I think that there's some dispute about it. Professional learning network is often what it's used as. And we're both kind of career focused people. But I know when I see this term rallied around in education, sometimes I want to push back a bit because it feels a little bit like students or teachers or educators should just constantly be thinking about their career. And I don't think, I think that this is still super useful. Even if you have career development stuff, you shouldn't just associate it with like a, I need to learn for the sake of learning necessarily. Like Maggie was talking about how she goes at this through fun first. And I think for me personally, as somebody who needs to be really motivated in order to accomplish any labor and learning sometimes is labor, right? Like it it might not be my career, but it's still labor. This is an effective way to make that, that motivation happen. So I think that this is an important tool to help us see that, hey, learning can be fun. I can watch Gossip Girl or Frozen as Maggie might remember. I wrote a whole like 20 page paper on Frozen in undergrad. Maggie painstakingly helped me edit. Uh, It was like, three months overdue. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) I can take that was an adventure. Yeah, I can take that and still put a critical lens on it. Think about it, learn something. But my first mode is to have fun, right? And then we can see, hey, labor can sometimes be fun. It's fun to create things. It's fun to think about things. It doesn't mean that we need to be doing it all the time. But when we're consuming media, We are consuming the products of somebody's labor, and we should give back to that in some capacity by thinking about it, you know? Does that make any sense, or am I rambling? No, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think, to your point about the fact that this doesn't have to be career-related, career-focused is really important. Like, as I mentioned, for me, there were ways that this happened organically because I was poking fun at my own career, and then it turned out to be really useful. But I think that people often separate the kind of learning that we do about our hobbies than the kinds of learning that we do in other situations, because it feels like if you're learning something just for fun, then for whatever reason, it's not like actual learning. And that's totally untrue. I, for example, love to cook. I think I'm a pretty good cook. and But part of the reason that I've gotten better at it is because I spend a lot of time digesting that media and then like digging deeper into it and thinking a lot more about it, thinking about what the biases are of the person making it, like do what is their expertise, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that doesn't for me often feel like labor. I mean, with cooking specifically, there's always a conversation about like gender roles and household labor and stuff. But like when I'm just cooking something because I really wanted to learn how to make a killer croissant, which I can now do, um, that didn't feel like learning, but very much was, right? Like I was acquiring a new skill. And if I really think about it, a lot of cooking and baking is super science-based. Science is not my forte, Um, but I know a lot about how and why yeast works and how steam works in an oven and things like that. 
those might be super specific, but those are still things I know and skills that I have that didn't feel like learning. So I think when you're thinking about these concepts too, it's not necessarily about like the big heavy things in the world. It's also about like, I learned how to make a really killer croissant and there was a lot of critical thinking that had to go into that, even if it didn't feel like it in the moment. That's amazing. I have not applied this lens yet to baking that I'm thinking of. I guess my, the difference for me, like I, I haven't been thinking critically about my recipes, right? Like I'll look up reviews and stuff, but I think my version of that is getting comfortable with um, the way that food works and like the way taste works and kind of like mapping out a meal and thinking about its nutritional value, which as somebody who only started cooking a couple of years ago is, is kind of big and new and exciting. But yeah, yeah, you can think critically about everything and you might not even notice. (laughs) It's true. I I think that I'm more used to cooking just because it is like a genuine hobby of mine and something that I do enjoy. And I spend probably more time than the average person consuming food media because of that. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, I think my point was more broadly about hobbies overall and like your interests and how it's okay to indulge that because a lot of the time when you're looking at something that you just enjoy, you're often flexing critical thinking skills that you aren't necessarily consciously thinking of, but you're still working that muscle. I, since I was very young, have always had like kind of a soft spot for celebrity gossip, even though I'm like really not great at pop culture at all, like to the point where I it can seem like I live under a rock. But those magazine headlines, you know, like they got me every time. And I just like, I want to know celebrity gossip. And that was part of the reason why I consumed all of like the free Britney media, right? But that has since, like for many people, really led me on a journey of how I think about disability and how I think about like mental health care and the rights that different people deserve. And yeah, I don't know. So celebrity gossip really did it for me. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so true. I mean, I went on that same journey. I'm, I think, I don't know. I mean, I'm probably, I'm not like disinterested in celebrity gossip, but for me, it's usually because I'm like already kind of interested in the celebrity. Like I've been really following the John Mulaney saga, for example, <laughs> because I loved John Mulaney. Um, and I still think he's quite funny, even though he's making some wild decisions out here. But I like had that same journey with Free Britney, right? And I think that sometimes people will end up knowing a lot of stuff about a thing, like, for example, have a lot more developed thoughts about disability rights, about mental health, and not always realize that that came from interest of like celebrity gossip and like following Free Britney. But I think that sometimes when you zoom out on your life, a lot of the things that we end up gathering knowledge about come from that place that just loves celebrity gossip, right? Because we're all rabbit hole humans to a certain extent. Like the experience of ending up at Wikipedia at 2 a.m. just kind of like following the train <laughs> is pretty universal, <laughs> you know? Like, and I, and you always start somewhere frivolous and end up at saving the manatees. That's just how <laughs> it works. Apparently Maggie always ends up at saving the manatees. It's all of her uh, marine biology interests. I just have a lot of feelings about climate change and species extinction. But that all started because I really like to garden. So like, it's all like, that's all connected, you know, and that was a a hobby that I started as a kid not thinking about anything. And now as an adult, I'm like, Oh, 
plants, climate change. A lot of this stuff is actually really interrelated. And for me, that was a way to think about climate change that felt accessible and slightly less terrifying to like think differently about my life and my activism. But it just came because when I was little, we always had a garden and I liked it. That was it. Oh, that's beautiful. Next week. Do we have anything else to add? I don't think so. I mean, I think that all of this is just to say like, Sometimes it's worth it to just zoom out, you know, think about your interests and where they've gotten you, because I bet you you've learned more about them than you thought in a way that was actually productive. And I also think, too, the point of this is to, like, foster your curiosity. It's never a bad thing to ask questions or to, like, want to explore something. And that's where you get the good stuff. That's where the real learning happens, right? If you're interested in something, follow that interest. But do still question it and like keep questioning it. Yeah, I agree. To answer your first question, next week we are talking about the entire Brown Sisters trilogy by Talia Hibbert, which is going to be an ambitious episode. Rip Kevin, our editor. Um, Two hours Thanks long. in advance, buddy. <laughs> yeah, brutal. <laughs> uh, but that's what we're talking about next week. So watch this space we're coming at you with more romance yes don't forget to rate and review us bye bye don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcatcher app you can support this podcast by going to anchor.fm slash rgbc and clicking the support this podcast button Our episode schedule can be found in our show notes or by going to our website, rebelgirlsbook.club, and clicking read along with the show. You can follow us at rgbcpod on Instagram, at rebelgirlsbookclub on Facebook, at rebelgirlsbook1 on Twitter, and you can email us at rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly, and it's by The Gays. See you soon, and remember to read rebelliously. Rebel Girls Book Club is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.